The scripture reading this morning is James 4. Those conflicts and disputes among you, where do they come from? Do they not come from your cravings that are at war within you? You want something and do not have it, so you commit murder. And you covet something and cannot obtain it, so you engage in disputes and conflicts. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly in order to spend what you get on your pleasures. Adulterers, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that the scripture speaks to no purpose? Does the spirit that God caused to dwell in us desire envy? But God gives all the more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into dejection. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers and sisters. Whoever speaks evil against another or judges another speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and one judge who is able to save and to destroy. So who then are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there, doing business and making money. Yet you do not even know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wishes, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and such boasting is evil. Anyone, then, who knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, commits sin. The word of the Lord. Thank you for that reading, Dawn. We are moving right along in our study of James this week. And as you probably heard, this particular text is a little bit challenging. Uh, Today we're looking at the fourth chapter, and then next week, Pastor Chris will wrap us up with chapter five. Uh, This is a letter that was written by James, who is the brother of Jesus, and he's writing to encourage new believers to actually apply this good news that they've heard from Jesus and his disciples, no matter where they are. James is well aware that it's not enough to simply say, I have faith in Jesus Christ. We have to actually let that faith sink in so that it produces fruit in our lives. Knowing what is good is not the same as doing what is good. You have the knowing, James says, and that's important. You know who Jesus is. 
Now let your faith take action in your works. And it would seem, for all the intents and purposes of this letter, that this was a struggle for some folks. Uh, James has talked so far in this letter about our need to endure trials and temptations. He's talked about not showing partiality to the rich over the poor and about taming our dangerous tongues for all the harm they might do. And now he's going to address another big issue in chapter 4. But before we dive into that, um, let's pray together. Gracious God, you are all things to us. You've made yourself known and shown us the way to live in your son, Jesus Christ. Help us submit ourselves to you this morning, to be aware of your presence here with us, and to be willing to receive the grace that awaits us in your word. Thank you for James and the wisdom he's shared for the benefit of your church. And may the words of my mouth this morning and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Okay, when was the last time that you were in an argument or a conflict with someone? Do you remember this? It can be big or small, but I kind of want you to put yourself back in that place for a moment. And remember what that was like. Who was the argument with? What were you arguing about? What were you thinking about or feeling as this conflict was taking place? What had you wanted to happen that may not have happened? If I had to guess, I would imagine that most of us don't have to actually think that far back to come up with an example of the last time we were in conflict with someone. <laughs> Mine happened just the other day, actually. Um, it was when Matt and I were at home, and I was working on something on my computer, and he came over to try to talk to me, and, uh, and eventually he issued a very legitimate complaint that he was feeling ignored because I was not being intentional with putting my screen away. Uh, but rather than hearing him out, I immediately got defensive because I thought that what I was working on was important. And like, he works on his computer all day, so why doesn't he give me the benefit of the doubt? It's like, just got so upset all of a sudden. It was very easy to just react so strongly to that. And because I did, <laughs> and it was more about me than about listening to his feelings, we just escalated for a minute, and it got all blown out of proportion. And we even had to just kind of walk away for a couple minutes before we could come back and I could actually listen to the way that he was feeling rather than, you know, having my sort of self-righteousness be in the way of listening to his feelings. And it was such a small thing, but it just blew up. <laughs> and, you know, eventually we came back and I could listen and, and we resolved it. But it just kind of baffles me sometimes. Like, how many of you, when you thought of this last conflict that you had, had this conflict with someone that was close to you? Someone that you have an ongoing relationship with? And how many of you afterward thought to yourself, I knew better. <laughs> I should have done this differently. Right? I find it so interesting that so many of our conflicts happen not in the big scheme of things, or just with people out there, but with the people that we're close to, and the people that we do life with on a day-to-day -day basis, 
even the people we love, right? These are not the people we want to hurt or be in conflict with. But even so, despite our best intentions, we end up in this conflict. Why does that happen? Why in the moment do we let whatever that thing is erupt into something that it shouldn't have? James is seeing the same issue with the people that he's writing to. (laughs) He's sent this letter to communities of Jewish believers who've been scattered through the Roman Empire. And they're living right in the midst of a very volatile and polytheistic and materialistic culture. It's big and scary. They're often trying to escape persecution from the place that they once lived. They're in a new place. You would think that this would be an occasion where they would band together that would create stronger community, right? But instead, James is having to call them out on their conflicts and disputes with the people close to them. Or we could also translate those words, they're warring and fighting. In the Greek language that he's writing in, these are military words. That's how bad it's gotten. Or maybe he's just being hyperbolic in describing their conflict because we all know how easy it is to feel like when you're in an argument, you are in the middle of battle, right? In the worst instances, on a large scale, that's what this actually becomes. Something small has that awful potential. But where is that all coming from? I mean, think about that. What is at the heart of our conflict? of our feelings of judgment against other people, of our self-righteous anger, all these things that put us at odds with one another. This is what James is trying to address. Because again, he realizes that just because we know the good doesn't mean that we do the good. And it doesn't seem to be enough to simply say, try harder. Right? James is telling us that there's a deeper root to this problem and he can identify what it is. He says, do they not come from your cravings that are at war within you? You want something and you don't have it, so you commit murder. You covet something and cannot obtain it, so you engage in disputes and conflicts. You don't have because you don't ask, and you ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly in order to spend what you get on your pleasures adulterers, strong language there from James, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Did you hear that? Do they not come from your cravings that are at war within you? He asks. It's not just that something's wrong with the other person or with the situation or the context. It's about what's happening in here. There's conflict out there because there's conflict in here. Our selfish desires, whether or not we want to see them in that way, are getting in the way of our relationships and even our prayers. This is a problem. And it reflects a deep-seated friendship with the world that is incompatible with our friendship with God. And I realize this can sound a little heavy-handed. It can be hard to kind of wrestle with, right? We might even think, who are you, James, to judge my inner desires? 
I don't think that James is writing here to try to judge or to shame anyone. In fact, in a few verses he says, it's not our right to judge at all. But he is asking us very urgently to take a deep and honest inside look at ourselves so that we can learn to reconcile what is actually the root of the conflict. It's not an easy thing to do. But there are two helpful frameworks that I want to give us this morning that I think can help us understand what James is trying to get at in this text um, on a deeper level. And one of these comes from the fourth century bishop, St. Augustine, and the other framework comes from a current author and theologian named Walter Brueggemann. And so let's start with Augustine. When Augustine talks about the source of sin and conflict in life, he identifies it as a problem of disordered loves. James would call these the cravings that are at war within us. So Augustine tells us that all things were created to be worthy of love. Right? If we walk back to the creation story in Genesis, we can see that God continues creating. He creates everything that exists, and he keeps saying, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then he creates humans, and at the end of creation, he says, it is very good. So all things that God created in this world, including our relationships, our stuff, these things that we have, our livelihoods, even the things that we want out of life, they were all created for us to love. It was all meant to be a gift. The problem is that we love some things more than others. It's not that the things that we truly love and desire are evil in and of themselves, but that we love them in the wrong order. Does this make sense? That's when they can become harmful when we get them out of order, because we were made to love God above all else, for that to be our perfect and dependent relationship. And then out of that love, we will love others and ourselves and all the things that God created in the right way. He teaches us how to love everything else. But without that proper order, things will fall apart. And they did, right? We can see this in the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, that humanity fell from that perfect relationship with their good creation precisely because we went ahead and put our own judgments and desires above God's will for us. What we loved fell out of order, and the rest of creation fell with it. That's the trap that we're stuck in, Augustine says. A world of disordered love where we have forgotten how to put God first. I mean, our culture even today tells us that our highest virtues are freedom and independence, right? That, that our self-fulfillment, what we want, what we have, what we make of ourselves, that that's the most important thing. So we've been taught in this stew of cultural conditioning and social messages that we are supposed to take care of our needs before others. And now I want to say this again. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with taking care of ourselves 
and of wanting the pleasure of experiencing good things in life. That is what we were created for. James has just said in chapter one that every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. It is all God's gift to us. But when we think we know or have the right to have those good gifts over and above God's will or the needs of the people around us, then we're out of order. That's when the conflict starts. Augustine puts it like this. He writes, Sin is committed for the sake of all of these things, when in consequence of an immoderate urge toward those things which are at the bottom end of the scale of good, we abandon the higher and supreme goods That is you, Lord God, and your truth and your law. These inferior goods have their delights, but not comparable to my God who has made them all. It is in him that the just person takes delight. He is the joy of those who are true of heart. God is our joy. And a right relationship with God puts us in right relationship with everything else, including others and ourselves, We don't even know what's best for us, right? This is Augustine's framing on this issue and the solution. We need a reordering of the things that we love. We need to put our friendship with God above everything else. And Walter Brueggemann then builds on this idea in a slightly different way. So when Brueggemann writes about what the tension is between God and the world, He sees it as a conflict between God's promise of abundance on the one hand and the world's myth of scarcity on the other. God's promise of abundance and the world's myth of scarcity. This is our second framework. He says that God has shown us time and time again in scripture that he wants to give his goodness to us in full and abundantly, that it will never run out but that we listen to the voice of a broken world in our ear that tells us there's not enough to go around. Does that sound familiar? That's the lie that the devil perpetuates, the one that James says that we need to flee from. It's the lie that says that what we can see and have in this life is the most important thing there is, and supplies are limited. So we better look out for ourselves and take what's ours at any cost. You are the one who knows what's best for you, and therefore you should have it. Here's how Brueggemann puts it. He says, we who are now the richest nation are today's main coveters. We never feel that we have enough. We have to have more and more, and this insatiable desire destroys us. Whether we are liberal or conservative Christians, we must confess that the central problem of our lives is that we are torn apart by the conflict between our attraction to the good news of God's abundance and the power of our belief in scarcity, a belief that makes us greedy, mean, and unneighborly. And we spend our lives trying to sort out that ambiguity. Brueggemann points to the biblical story in the Exodus of God providing manna in the wilderness as much as they needed every day, and of Jesus later than taking five loaves of bread and somehow feeding 5,000 people 
with more than enough to spare. These are examples of God's desire for our care and abundance. This is God showing us over and over, my grace for you, my provision for you will never run out. There is enough. There will always be enough. When we trust God, we can be sure that we will have what we need. So then the question becomes, do we believe that there's enough of God's love and goodness to go around? Because if we do, we will never come up short. We don't have to have the highest paying job or the best marriage or the most well-behaved kids or the fittest body or the nicest house or even the upper hand in a ridiculous argument about screens to know that we will be okay. God's grace is sufficient for us. If bread is broken and shared, Brueggemann says, there is enough for all. If bread is broken and shared, there is enough for all. I don't have to worry that in giving you something of mine, there's not going to be enough for me. I think that James in this text is asking us to take a deep, hard look at our inner selves and the lies that we believe about the world. Not just the things that we say we believe, but the things that we actually act on. Do we believe this lie of scarcity that tells us that we need to put ourselves as our highest love because no one else will? Is that why we feel such a need to defend ourselves intensely in these conflicts? This isn't what we want to believe about ourselves. It doesn't feel good. But it's true enough of our experience, even in the church, that James feels the need to address this because this is what leads to fighting to judging one another, to boasting about ourselves, all of these things that undermine relationships and community. The friendship that we have with the world is not an easy thing to overcome. It literally took God showing up as a savior to put all the lies to death, right? But that's exactly the good news for us. Jesus has already shown up He has put all things right. He has reordered us into right relationship with God. His abundance and his self-giving life overcame death. What more did we have to be scared of? That is our gift. So what do we need to do to accept that and to live into it? Humble yourselves, James says. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. How do we know that? Because he's already done it. God has already drawn near. Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. God doesn't want to take away all the things that we love in the world. He's given them all to us. But we need to have them in the right order because on our own we will make a mess of it. This is why James pleads with us to submit to God. When he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded, lament and mourn and weep, that is our call to repentance, to recognition that things are not right, not because God wants us to then be dejected 
We are already dejected. <laughs> I don't know about you, but when I get into arguments, I am just in the pits. Like, that is not where I want to be. But somehow, of my own volition, that's where I get myself. What we fear the most is what we end up doing to ourselves. But God wants to exalt us. I mean, did you hear that in the text? Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. God wants us to give it all up to him so that he can give it all back in the right order. So what does that look like in real life terms, in the day-to-day? I think it looks like listening to the other person and apologizing when we're in an argument because our dignity is not being threatened by them. It is already held securely in Christ. It looks like celebrating when something good happens to someone else rather than judging them or being envious of them because we know that God is just as capable of providing for our needs. It looks like having our hopes and dreams for what we want our future to look like, but holding those loosely because God just might have something better for you, even if it costs you. At the end of the day, I think it looks like spending time with God as you would with your best friend, treating him as our best friend in order to keep all of the rest of our lives rightly aligned. Draw near to God and you will find him. And in him, you will have abundant life. That is our promise. I want to close us with a prayer uh, written by a man named Ted Loder, so please pray with me. Oh, eternal one, it would be easier for me to pray if I were clear and of a single mind and pure heart if I could be done hiding from myself and from you, even in my prayers. But I am who I am, mixture of motives and excuses, blur of memories, quiver of hopes, knot of fear, tangle of confusion, and restless with love for love. Come find me, Lord. Be with me exactly as I am. Help me find me, Lord. Help me accept what I am so I can begin to be yours. Amen.